Episode 25 of the Press Pass Podcast presented by the Press Republican. Sports Editor Joey LaFranca with you along with Editor-in-Chief Joe LaTemplio. And that's it. You got the two paisans today. Joe, how are you? Joey Betts, doing good. Glad to be here. Yeah, so we have a very interesting kind of busy week going on. A good melange of news and sports this week. It's usually pretty news heavy, but sports are sometimes quiet. But a lot going on, and we'll kind of start with some of the new stuff going on. Yes, today is Thursday that we're doing this, which in this podcast you'll hear it tomorrow on Friday. Yep. Um, but today, a bombshell report came out from the New York State Attorney General's office regarding the uh, handling of COVID-19 patients in nursing homes this past year. Um, it was very alarming. Uh, the report basically said that the number of people who died in nursing homes was way undercounted, and there's a lot of questions to be answered. Uh, by the state and the administration of Governor and, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Oh, I always want to call him Mario. <laughs> um, so that has people across the state scrambling and talking about you know how this was handled. The big complaint is that patients were ordered back to nursing homes. Positive COVID-19 patients were ordered right. back to nursing homes from hospitals. Now the state is saying, well, that's what the feds made us do. And people are saying, no, you never should have done that. Um, so, like I said, there's a million questions to be answered. About so everyone's this. pretty much, this is now, to a certain <laughs> extent, kind of a cover-up. You, you can certainly make that case. Yeah. Um, people are not happy with the, the governor's administration. Right. The way this was handled at the Department of State, Department of Health, they're taking a lot of heat. Mm. Um, and rightfully so. I mean... A lot of people died. We know. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, it's, it's a horrible tragedy. Um, nursing homes and the people in them um, at high risk. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Sure. Um, it, it's, it's a really tough situation. But when you have a tough situation, you need to make sure you're handling it as best you can. Sure. Cross your T's, dot your I's. And it sounds to me like... That wasn't done, and that's unfortunate. No, and there was already like speculation <clears throat> about a lot of how it, how COVID was handled in the nursing homes. So to see a report come out like this, it's shocking, but I don't know if you can say it's surprising. No, and it also did. It talked about practices in in many nursing homes. I think it was twenty that were labeled in the report. How they weren't up to standard. Um, yeah, things weren't done the way they should have been done. Um, and that's sad to see. Yeah. Uh, we hope that it has been rectified um, and that conditions are better because, you know, as we said, these are the most vulnerable of course. in our society. And of they course. deserve, you know, to end, you know, towards the end of their lives, they deserve to be treated with some dignity. Yeah. And, you know, some caring. Quality of life is an important thing, especially in elderly people. Yeah, and I mean, this whole nursing home thing has been really sad and really uh, and, and it's, difficult. And it's, and it's ominous because when you go back to the summer when everything with the Essex Center was going on, I mean, even I did a, a story on one one uh, patient who passed away that was COVID was linked to the Essex Center, and it was ominous. 
how it, it was a lo- it was it was localized. It was a topic that was national, that regional, I should say, statewide, that turned into a local topic for us. And that that stuff is obviously not fun to cover. It's really important to cover, but just from our perspective, it was that was a really dark time, and just every single day was ongoing. Yeah, and if you remember when COVID first hit last March, um, where did it hit? It hit at the nursing home in Seattle. Yep. I think it was 18 people. Sure. That should have been an alarm bell. Yes. Loud enough for all of us to take notice. Yep. That, okay, this is a really serious thing, and nursing homes are really vulnerable. Uh, It's got to be, you know, dealt with properly. Yeah. It's a shame. I think the main thing moving forward is hopefully now that the vaccines are getting out more and more, and it seems like vaccinations and inside nursing homes for people who are living in the nursing homes are really starting to prove to be a good thing. Um, And a lot more people are being vaccinated inside nursing homes. And I think uh, one of the things that has been more in the topic of conversation of late has been the the recent outbreak, you could say, at Meadowbrook. Um, And there have been how many fatalities linked to the outbreak at Meadowbrook as of now? Um, I don't mean I to put you was, on the spot. I think it was seven. Okay. I think that's. I thought it was. I thought it was seven as well. Um, but the interesting thing is, a lot of those patients have been vaccinated, and now we're seeing they might become infected, but the vaccination is proving that it's not killing them, which is a good thing to see in a lot of different ways. Um, but hopefully, the vaccine continues that trend in a sense that. Hopefully, moving forward, we hear somebody has contracted COVID and we think to ourselves, okay, no big deal. The vaccine will take care of it. But with everything going on, and I know we're going to mention this, the UK strain and all these other strains, it's it's still, you can't say it enough. It's still, this is still going on, like oh, on and on and on. We're in the heart of it right now. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we can't get the vaccine in arms fast enough. No. Um, it's got to happen, and thank goodness Plattsburgh is chosen as one of the state sites yeah. for distribution um, that's going to be able to get shots in more arms, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, quicker. Um, yeah, the U.K. strain was found in Essex County, identified there. Uh, that's a cause for concern. Yep. It spreads, I think, 56% more... <clears throat> Uh, easily right or rapidly than the first strain so and it's probably you know undoubtedly it's going to spread everywhere yeah and that is going to be the um, the strain that everyone's going to be dealing with in the next few months um, so again can't emphasize the need for vaccines quick enough um, especially with schools looking to hope maybe go back to in person soon Yes, and what we're hearing is that might happen next week. Yes, that's most area schools. That's what I've been hearing as well. There's been a lot of meetings between of late. There's been a lot of meetings between teachers unions and administrators, and a lot of back and forth. And I think that those conversations are going to continue to be ongoing. Yes, and I'm just looking at something right now. We just received um, this might the the breaking news sounder. Okay, okay. Well, we have it now, so we're good to go. It'll be playing as we talk about this. Uh, From Essex County Health Department, in consultation with county leadership, yada, 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 the department is authorizing the resumption of higher-risk K-12 sponsored sports in Essex County. Oh, wow. 
Um, well, that's interesting. We are permitting student athletes to partake in higher risk sports beginning February 1st. So that's from Essex County. Stated Linda Beers, Director of Public Health for Essex County. Well, I wonder what will happen with Clinton County then. Higher risk sports include football, wrestling, ice hockey, rugby, basketball, contact lacrosse, volleyball, martial arts, and competitive cheer dance. My. Um, well, it looks like we're transitioning to sports real quick yeah, now. Well, it's COVID related. <laughs> yes. Um, my sources tell me, the ones that I've talked to, is yep. that there's probably a 70% chance that Clinton County. We'll say yes as well. Okay. Um, there's a lot of hurdles to go through the go over. There. Right. Um, the county health department is going to talk about think how they want things to be done. Sure. Um, and the from what I understand, the school doctors all have to sign off on it. Oh, interesting. Which could be that tricky for some. that. That's the main thing. And before we go into this any further, I can explain what's happened in the past week. Because the last time we did a podcast, it was oh, who knows what's going to happen with sports. But now, uh, last Friday, the Cuomo administration came out and said that the um, any sports deemed high risk, which a lot of people so the 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 mainstream high sports, not to uh, cancel anybody out, but the mainstream ones are basketball, hockey, and wrestling up here. Yes, um, those high risk sports were deemed okay by the Cuomo administration. Now, that's just the start of things. And this past week, we've been hearing a lot of different um, things as far as what exactly that meant. Now, what it means is, okay, high-risk sports are okay, but from region to region, health department to health department, in this case, Clinton County, Essex County, Franklin County, and even Hamilton County encompass the sections that encompass uh, what Section 7 has for basically the land that Section 7 has, um, for lack of better words. But Section 7 is so big that they literally have to have four different health departments, technically speaking, give guidance as to what they think of the matter before they before they proceed any further. Now, the thing that is interesting is, okay, so this health department, so what did you, which one, Essex County? Essex County. So Essex County has okayed high-risk high risk sports to begin February 1st, they said? Yes. Okay. Now what it comes down to is each school within Essex County, within Section 7, now has to make a decision. So you're talking about, for example, Mariah, Ticonderoga. Ticonderoga specifically is an interesting one because they didn't even do fall sports. Anything. Crown Point didn't either. Crown Point didn't do anything. Keen. Um, the list goes on and on. I won't list everyone. I can, you know, that's a good trivia thing, but yeah. I will not do that. Um, but that'll be interesting to see what the schools actually say about this now, um, especially with we're getting back to probably schools want to just see if they can get the kids in school first, let alone have them play high risk sports. Well, that's the thing. And we're, from what I'm hearing, is the health department here would like to see. Um, kids back at school for about two weeks mm -hmm. before anything starts. Which would align them with the February break coming up as well. Yes. And which which start, could be an interesting thing. So you're thing. looking at, if things work out, a winter sports season from mid-February to mid-March. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe enough to get 10 games in or so. Yeah. Um, and the they're talking about only, you can only go to contiguous counties for travel. Okay. Um Doctors have to sign off on it, and no spectators. No, yeah, that that uh, is even though the governor said, same as the fall, two per player. Right, that was outside. Yep, this is inside. It's uh, it's very different on a lot of different levels. I think the most interesting thing to watch moving forward 
is going to be, like I said, how each school interprets the guidance because it's going. To, it's the chain effect of Cuomo administration. NISFA puts out guidelines. You could actually argue that the health department is before NISFA in a lot of senses. NISFA puts out the guidelines, um, then the health department, then the schools have to decide ultimately yeah. whether or not they want to play. And also, too, we haven't really talked about this. I don't even think you and I have really had a conversation about this. What about the players, each individual player? I think that's a unique thing that we're hearing. It's easy to contact the people who want to say, yeah, I'll play sports, no problem. But I can guarantee you there's some people out there, some families out there, who are going to have to have a very difficult conversation with their student, their student, their kids and their student athletes yeah. who are probably going to say, you know what, I'm sorry, um, you know, grandpa or grandma or mom or dad even have health issues and you playing a high-risk sport and living in the household could jeopardize certain situations. And I'm not saying that to sound like a negative Nelly. That's reality. Yeah, we've already, we saw to some degree in the fall, some kids just did not play. Mm -hmm. And I'm already hearing from some coaches that they expect to lose kids. The kids just will not play. Sure. Which is understandable. And especially, you know, you feel bad for the seniors. Um, Yes. But a lot of them are, not a lot of them, but some of them are thinking, okay, my time in high school sports is up. Let's move on. Yeah. Get a job you know, do sure. something else. Absolutely. Your sports is just over, yep. which was unfortunate. But that's one of the fallouts from this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, however this proceeds, the other one of the other main things is some of the schools in the fall were remote, but they were still having some sports from time to time. Now, with the guidelines, as far as I understand, Things could have obviously changed. Things might change again. And honestly, I would say expect things to change in different capacities. The new guidance from NISFA says if a school is remote, no sports. Right. So. Got to be at least a hybrid. You have to at least be hybrid. So that's that's an aspect of things that I think is also very interesting. And, you know, for the student athletes, if they're comfortable doing it, if their families are comfortable doing it, if their school districts are comfortable doing it, good for them. Hopefully they can enjoy sports. The main thing to take away from it is this is literally glorified intramurals at this point. There is no state championship. There is no state playoffs. You are playing local teams, and that's it. Now, as far as moving forward in the year, I know Section 1 downstate, they have their uh, winter season from, like you said, early February to mid-March. Then they are actually embracing that fall 2 season which would include football yes. from around mid-March to early May, I believe. And then from May to June will be their spring season. Now, the interesting thing about the spring season is, um, depending on how regents work out this year, which is that's a big question mark as to the school year, um, whether or not there are actually spring championships. Um, and like we said earlier in the year, when the, like right in the first week of January when we did our first podcast, these couple, these January and February are going to determine a lot as to how the spring goes, and even March for that matter. So I think that's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens. But there's our breaking news. I mean, we can use the breaking news sounder again to uh, yeah. you know conclude that. But it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting. This is not the end of the story. This is only the beginning as far as as far as high school sports go. Well, and I would say kudos to the state. Uh, the health departments, the schools, 
who are trying to get something for these kids. Yeah. Because these kids are suffering. Oh, absolutely. They need something. The mental health is huge. It is. It's affecting them. It yeah. really is. So if there's some way they can get back to something they love, mm-hmm. that's a good move. I mean, obviously, health and safety has to be the priority. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad to see people are, you know, just not throwing it out the window. The uh, Trying to make something work for these kids. And speaking of mental health, real quick, um, Section 7, we did not talk about this last week. I totally forgot, but I wanted to mention it this week. Matt Wallentuck, the executive director for Section 7, had a really nice idea and a concept to create a virtual gathering for Section 7 student-athletes. Um, it's called 3 and 30, where Section 7 is planning from week to week to have a guest speaker, some a guest who is involved in the North Country sports scene, whether it be a coach, an influencer, somebody like that, who can actually talk to kids, give them like three kind of thought, thought ideas, talking points, different things like that, that they, that they can convey a conversation with them for about 30 minutes and have three takeaways. Um, the, the platform is Microsoft Teams. Um, Section 7 student athletes should have this past week received an email um, from their athletic directors regarding this 3 and 30 that Section 7 has. Um, and they're able to join every Monday at 7 p.m. It's usually what it's going to be. I am actually, uh, Matt, Matt Wallentuck reached out to me and asked me if I could host it. And I said, yes, of course, anything to help the student athletes and mental health and, and all those initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be exciting. Our next guest next week is actually going to be Plattsburgh State men's basketball coach Mike Blaine, who if you listen to the Press Pass podcast, you have heard from Coach Blaine before. And um, I mentioned Coach Blaine's name to uh, Matt Wallentuck. And I said he would be a good person to have on. And I reached out to Mike, and he said right away, he's like, yeah, of course I'll come on. So he's going to be next week at 7 p.m. If you haven't heard about this, if you're a student athlete, or even if you're a parent of a student athlete, um, ask them about if they've gotten an email from their athletic uh, director uh, at school and see if they have their login information for this Microsoft Teams gathering because it's a cool concept. The first week was with Scott Couter, who if you don't know who that is, he runs the local um, jump camp here. Um, which is an off-season conditioning camp for student-athletes of any sport in the North Country. Um, And he he was really good this past week. So that is something to uh, just kind of plug and talk about a little bit. So I didn't want to go without mentioning that. No, that's a great thing. Um, Another thing to to help these kids um, try to get through this whole mess. Yeah. Uh, Now transitioning off sports, I know you had a couple things before we get back to the last sports thing. GameStop. Yes. What's going on with that? I, I, I will be honest. I tried to follow that. I was looking at my Twitter today, different news stories. I don't get what's going on. It's easy. Buy low, sell high. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> no. is, this Wolf of, is this Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> no, you're right. Um, it is fascinating. And again, I also don't completely understand <laughs> okay. how, how it works. Uh, it has something to do with uh, selling off stocks of companies that are forecast to go out of business or, or, or do do poorly. Okay. And then uh, somebody else is driving up interest, which is driving up the value of the stock, I think. Okay. Which is affecting people who went short, <laughs> whatever that means. But the bottom line I keep hearing is is that the Joe Little guy yep. is sticking it to the big billionaires. And people, and people probably like, like that. They do like that. Okay. And the billionaires, of course, Hate are not it. happy. Yeah. 
I did see that Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, is somehow involved in this because one of his former colleagues is actually one of the pinhead suits of one of this. I mean, I might be totally wrong, but I was just reading something, <laughs> and, and I found that interesting. Um, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of people linked together on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's one of these phenomenons that <laughs> yes. we've seen a lot of lately. Yeah, that it just caught fire. Right. And now it's blown up. It's a big thing. And it's ultimately going to bring more awareness to maybe the stock market and how it works. I guess. And, you know, I'm sure government will get involved and there will be all kinds of regulations. Oh, I'm and, sure. And investigations yes. and things. And ultimately, the rich guys will be taken care of oh, probably again. I'm sure. <laughs> Are you involved in the stock market at all? Not directly. I mean, okay. I have some, you know. 401k right. stuff like that but i don't day trade or anything i've like always that. i've always kind of like considered getting into it just to see what it's about but i still have yet to like ever do that i mean i have a one of those like kind of stocks that you know you, your parents set up for you when you're young and they put some money in there and they just kind of let it sit this ain't fantasy baseball joe i know it's not i know i can't just like pick <laughs> pick up you know like you know a player off the off the wire or something like that and just plug in place um but it's it's interesting to know that people are playing the stock market and they're playing it in a way that obviously has uh pissed some people off <laughs> But the press Republican is on it. Okay. Mackenzie Delisle. I saw her tweet today. Is doing a story um, explaining. Did uh, she Was she able to reach out to some people? Yes, she was. And we also, if you go on our Facebook page, there's a chance to comment okay. on it. And uh, hopefully we can include some digital voices. Yeah. Uh, to let people know what others are thinking <laughs> about this whole thing. Um, because it's it's... Definitely being talked about. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. There's always a, there's always a way to localize a story like that. So I, I think that is pretty funny. And I'm looking at what is this? Wall Street elites destroyed. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Reddit is involved. Reddit is involved. Okay, so now now this makes more sense. You, you got everybody listening and is really getting an inside scoop as to me and Joe actually trying to figure this out as we talk about well, it. Well, it's interesting because. A couple of years ago, it took me a long time and had it have it explained to me several times to understand what Bitcoin was all about. Okay, right, sure. So, so that's a similar concept. Yeah, that's what I'm I get, I get, I get that. You know what I saw? I can't remember who it was. Somebody on my Facebook friends list. Um, man, I don't even. I can't think of who it was. Probably better that I don't even say who the name is. But they mentioned they they put on a post. They said like. We invested in Bitcoin and like it made a little bit of money. It was like a couple, it was maybe, maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. I don't know whenever it came into existence, but they said we invested in the Bitcoin and then it made a little bit of money and we thought, oh, because it was such a slow increase. They're like, oh, we'll take the money out. And like they bought just pizza that night with it or something just for fun to be like, oh, cool. This is like Bitcoin pizza. And then they found out if they had kept the money and they would have had like just thousands and thousands <laughs> of dollars in Bitcoin. Um, but I always thought that was interesting. Do you remember? I don't think it's a big as of a deal now, but do you remember uh, it was a couple of years ago, everybody was so mad about the city internet or whatever because of the Bitcoin issue. I know we. I know it was the electric bills. That's what it was, and I know it was because I I heard about it because it affected AC North because it was right over there, correct? Something like that. Well, yeah, it was set up in a, in an empty place in Skyway Plaza. Okay. Um, and these these Bitcoin or these cryptocurrency <laughs> yep. machines are small computers that 
it's based on blockchain technology. Sure. Where it records every transaction yep. or whatever. And it, they're high energy. They use a lot of energy and they generate a lot of heat. Yeah. Um, and they were using up all the allotment of the city's municipal lighting department's um, really cheap hydropower. Sure. Um, Plattsburgh got in this, this deal in the 40s and 50s, which locked them into really cheap hydropower from the St. Lawrence Seaway. Okay. Um, and it's afforded Plattsburgh the opportunity to have some of the cheapest electric rates in the nation. That's good. For decades. Um but once they use up their allotment of hydropower, they have to go on the open market and buy right. alternative power, like nuclear or whatever. Sure. That's a lot more expensive. Right. So people's bills were shooting up because, oh. of, because of this um, cryptocurrency operation. Okay. And, and people were upset, rightfully so. Sure. So the city stepped in, and I think they, they put a moratorium on it. And uh, they just took some other steps. Okay. To regulate. I, I remember hearing something about that, and the only reason I heard about it was because we were talking about it one day, and it was we were referencing hockey, and then somebody said like, "Oh yeah, they're mad at the rink because it was affecting the people at the rink too with their internet or whatever." So I thought that was interesting. Um, but before we get into one other sports thing, was there something else news that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, it's just that we were talking about schools probably going back next week. Okay. Um, which is, there's, you know, mixed feelings about that. Yeah. Um, yes, more and more teachers are being vaccinated, yep. which is a good thing. The problem. The numbers are so high. The pro- This is my main thing, and I'm saying this as someone whose mom and dad are both teachers, and, you know, your wife is right, an yes. educator. Um, the. The thing is, that the, the couple of things that I have to say are this. Yes, the teachers have the vaccine. A lot of them have only gotten the first dose. They haven't gotten the second shot yet. Yeah. Um, the numbers are high, like you said. And then February break is coming up. And I just want to know at the end of the day, what is the rat race, for lack of better words, to go back into the schools? These teachers have been... Other than the mental health thing, which I know is a factor. These teachers have been doing their remote stuff, technically speaking, since March to a certain extent. And they're doing an okay job at it. The, from what we've heard, we've never heard a narrative about the educational side of things taking a hit, like kids struggling in school, things like that. Um, but, you know, I think moving forward... Wait through February break at least maybe. Let some teachers get more shots in them and then kind of go from there. I just don't, you know, I want to ask you, what do you think about the whole let's get these kids back in school now next Monday? Yeah, I think, and I don't know this, but I'm, I'm guessing uh, daycare needs is okay. driving a lot of this. Good point. Um, and I'm thinking when all this is all said and done and we look back on this, unfortunately, <clears throat> yes, teachers are doing their best. But this is going to be seen as a lost year or two. Yeah. Um, it just is. I mean, it's not the same. You, know, you can't get the same kind of quality education um, in as you get in person sure. with this remote or hybrid system. It's just suffering. It just And that's nobody's fault. Yep. Um, it's just the way it is. So, um, you know, there always is a push to let's get back to normal. Let's make it normal. That's mm-hmm. part of it, too. Yeah. But... Can you? And like you say, at what cost? Wait a little, you know, a couple more weeks with Feb- especially with February break coming. Yeah, like you said 
get some more vaccinations done, um, and and see what happens. But I think daycare is a big part of it. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. And also, too, from your wife's perspective, what a weird last year, probably. You know, it is. I bet she never you never could have imagined because I say that because my dad is a year away from retirement himself. And I I remember uh, around Christmas time, actually, I think it was on Christmas Day when we were eating and talking about it. He said, I never would have thought that this would be like the final year, like, uh, you know, the, the end of my teaching career. Like I'd be sitting in my recliner talking to kids on my computer, yeah. you know, like he, he, it's, it is, it is kind of surreal when you think about it that way. It is uncharted territory for sure. And I, I don't know, I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, but final thing to talk about. Yes. Good and bad. Uh, National Women's Hockey League bubble in Lake Placid. We talked about it last week on the podcast. Um, they started on Saturday, their round robin portion of their abbreviated two week season in a bubble in Lake Placid at Herb Brooks Arena. Um, things were going smooth um, through Wednesday. Well, technically speaking, Tuesday. We didn't know at the time at Wednesday things were kind of going awry. Um, I was in the bubble on Wednesday. I covered the Connecticut Whale against the uh, Boston Pride. The Whale ended up scoring four unanswered goals in the third period, ended up beating Boston. It was actually quite a comeback, um, seeing that they only had two shots in the second period. Um, But needless to say, if you haven't heard about it yet, and we will cover it in the press to our best extent, The Metropolitan Riveters, one of the six teams within the NWHL, has actually pulled out of the bubble and they will not be competing in the rest of the abbreviated season due to COVID-19 concerns. And the latest news is there have been some positive positive COVID-19 cases um, within within the Metropolitan Organization. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what exactly happens moving forward. When I was at the game, when I was at the games on Wednesday evening, the Buffalo Buttes were supposed to play the Metropolitan Riveters, and I was losing my mind trying to figure out why exactly uh, the Toronto Six were playing the Buffalo Buttes last night. I, I thought I just had a schedule mix-up, and then come to find out the reason that the Toronto Six, one of the other teams playing, were playing Buffalo was because... Um, the Metropolitan Riveters had COVID cases. Um, so we just found out about that. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So the bubble, in a sense, has been um, burst. And now that's brought into light exactly how secure this bubble was to begin with. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we talked about it last week, Joe. You and I are both were really excited for to see hockey in person and um, just to see the game of women's hockey grow. Um, but this is certainly not what we wanted to hear. Yeah, their their statement uh, says it's due to COVID concerns um, for why they dropped out. And, you know, obviously, um, after several members, members of the organization tested positive for COVID-19. Okay. This is uh, from the WHL yes. media. Yeah. Um, that's unfortunate. Um, you know, they set this whole thing up. And it sounded like a good plan. Yep. Have all the teams in Lake Placid for just a short season. Two, yeah. Two weeks. Two or and so. a half weeks. Um, but, and I wondered about this when they talked about doing this, is you need a true, complete bubble. 
Yes. And having it in Lake Placid, it sounded to me like it would have been hard to keep that bubble intact. Right. Um, you've got teams staying in hotels. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, restaurants and food options available. Going to the rink. And there's still, believe it or not, there's still tourists in Lake Placid. Yep. Uh, doing their thing. Yep. So I'm not surprised. Um, I mean, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised that something like this happened. Well, I have a an inside source um since the last time I actually talked with you in your office earlier this afternoon, that I was able to find out that a um, couple things. One, players are actually allowed to walk from their for, walk from the rink to their hotel. Yes. Now that creates a variable of from rink to hotel. What exactly are they doing? You don't know where exactly their hotel is. Could be across the street. Could be down Main Street in Lake yep. Placid. Um, You don't know if they're stopping at shops, things like that. And I don't want to allege anything. I'm just saying the variables that are put into play when the players are kind of allowed to go from rink to um, their hotels. Now, the other aspect to this is I do know that the NWHL is not at this time, and I don't think they probably will. They will not. They are not saying how many people um, tested positive. They will not say if their schedule will change any further. I know at this time, and that press release that you're probably looking at, it does say that they plan to resume play on Saturday. Um, in all essence, the only thing that changed from all of this is ob- well, two things that changed. One, the Metropolitan team is obviously not a part of this anymore. The second thing was there was a game scheduled for Thursday night tonight um, that it was not going to be played now because, quite honestly, I mean, we're not idiots. They're probably doing rapid testing, trying to figure out if anybody yeah. else has COVID because, let's face it, yes, one team, there's an outbreak, but guess what? The reason that a team is there is because they're playing other teams. They're interacting with other people. Even if they're in a bubble, if the bubble's been compromised, then you're going to have issues. Um, and ultimately, as we know, um, through different stories and whatnot, the rapid test is good. It's not always accurate. That's another issue that I think is a problematic situation moving forward um and, yeah. and you everybody's going to wonder exactly how they got covid in a bubble no well, less yeah and right now the hope is that they can salvage something yeah and, and finish the, the the schedule sure and have some kind of championship which would be nice because this is other than the covid stuff doing the, having this idea and putting it implementing it is a great thing for girls and women's hockey. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was This is a fast-growing sport, and I hope it continues to grow and uh, get more popular yep. and leads to more younger young girls playing this game. Yeah. Because girls hockey, to me, I've been involved with it for 30 years. Yep. Literally 30 years. That's about as long as girls and women's <laughs> hockey has, right. been a, has been a thing. Sure. And I love it. And I like it better than the boys and men's hockey, even because it's a, uh, it's the girls. I love coaching girls. Yep. And I don't know if I said this before, but they absorb so much so quickly, <laughs> and they're so eager. Uh, I, I think I tell this story about when uh, you definitely have never said it on the pod. So go ahead. Uh, well, I was coaching yeah. um, Amy's, my daughter Amy's U sixteen team back in two thousand twelve thirteen, mm-hmm. and. In the we play a bunch of games throughout the season before you go to nationals and all that. We won the nationals that year. Okay. In the fall, we had a game. Uh, I think it was down in Connecticut, and we literally taught the girls a new forecheck system 
45 minutes before the game in the parking lot of the rink. Okay. Said, okay, girls, this is how we're going to do it. Explained it to them once. And they went out, and they did it almost perfectly. <laughs> and the other, one of the other guys I was coaching with, and he said, if I tried to do that with my boys' Bantam team, it would take six weeks on the ice before they got it. <laughs> Because uh, girls just grasp things so much quicker. Hey. I feel no, and it's a pleasure to be around them. And yeah. it's a, well, it's, maybe it's they just play good, the game. Could just be good coaching too. You got to give yourself a little credit. <laughs> <I don't think laughs> so. They play the game uh, with all their heart and passion, and um, it's wonderful to see. And I love to see this NWHL thing. Uh, yeah, come to fruition and have a successful completion. And we talked about something. It, it, it's just the nature of our jobs. Like you have to address it. You can't just turn a blind eye to like what's going on. Obviously, there's some negativity around the NWHL right now. But on the flip side of things, and I have to say this, my experience um, yesterday. It's always awesome to go to Herb Brooks Arena yep. if you're a hockey fan. Um, we, to a certain extent, probably take it for granted because there's probably people from around the globe who would be like, wow, I want to go there. The I, cathedral. Want, I want to go to the Mecca yeah. in certain senses of hockey. Um, but when I was there yesterday, the hockey was good, um, yeah. better than I expected, honestly, um, if I'm being honest, um, faster than I expected. Oh, um, play. It's deceiving to watch it on like their Twitch broadcast, which they're doing right now. Next week, hopefully, when they when if they can resume the the season, I know their semifinals and finals would be on NBCSN. Um, but the uh, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was good hockey. Um, I got a puck yeah. came right up to me in the stands as I was sitting clean. there. It's you know they don't yes. checking. No, which I mean there, there's contact. There, I will say just, I know. will say this. During the game yesterday between the Connecticut Whale and Boston Pride, there was a check that I think would have been penalized in the NHL. That happens. <laughs> you know, and it was it, it happened because it was just a battle for the puck and nobody really slowed down. you got to love the aggressiveness, but in the game of women's hockey, that's obviously not allowed. Um, but I was right along the boards when I was shooting photos when that hit happened, and I, I, felt the, I felt the boards, and it was almost at the other end of the rink. So uh, that was a quite powerful, uh, quite powerful hit to say the least. Um, no doubt, I and mean, I mean they play hard, they play good, and you don't have the rough stuff in the fights and all that, which is nice. Yeah, we, you know, we get to watch some pure, clean hockey. Yep. One other quick thing. Sure. If I may. Oh yes. So <laughs> if you didn't see earlier in the week, um, our new—we'll have to have him on. We haven't had him on the podcast yet. Yep. Our new uh, reporter here, Fernando Alba. He wrote a story about an albino squirrel. and Accompanied by a, a wonderful photo submitted by a reader. Yes. Well, give, the, give the name of the reader. Uh, Stuart, uh, Stuart Denenberg. Okay. So, thank you, Stuart. Thank, yes, thank you, Stuart. Um, last week, uh, to give the backstory, you, you probably, if, if you look at the press, if you've seen it online or even in the paper itself, um, you saw the story, and it's interesting. Like I know, I read, I read the story, and the, the 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 lead of it is basically says people are always fascinated by like albino animals because they're just so rare. So the backstory to it in general was last week, last week, right? Yep. Uh, Joe came over to my desk and he showed me that, and I was like, whoa, no way! I was like legitimately impressed, and it caught Joe off guard. Like you did not think that I would be so interested in it. I love squirrels. So when I saw that, I was like, no way. I said, where is that? And and you, it was right in Plattsburgh, right? Uh, yeah, up on the, near the marina. Up on, okay. Uh, 
So when it, when you told me you it was right when you told me it was right in Plattsburgh, I started dropping squirrel knowledge on you. I, I said like oh, they're never up here. You know, you see your grays and your reds. Sometimes a black squirrel from time to time. Cooper Drive, that's what it is. But never an albino squirrel. No. Um, so when I saw that, I was I was amazed. I said, "You got to put that in the paper." And at first, it was like, "Okay, we'll put it on you know the outdoors page." And I said, "No, no, put it on the front." I said, "People will like it." And then you agreed. And then Ben Rowe, who's he can't be able to. By Ben will be back next week. This week is just way too busy. He's yeah. dealing with a lot of stuff. But um, he said, "No, it's not like really front page worthy." And Joe and I, that both are like, "No, people will love it. It's cool." <laughs> so there is a there is an interesting story um, about an albino squirrel. And if you look closely at the picture. The eyes are, are red, and it's just really cool to to see just, like, those little red... Be- it looks evil, but it also kind of looks... It's, I don't know, it's cute and evil all at once. I don't know I don't know how to describe it other than that, but... Um, well, we, we actually got... We heard from one reader who says it may be, it may be a leucistic squirrel and not albino. What's what's a leucistic uh, squirrel? Having white pigmentation or something like that. Okay, I but mean we that, did interview an expert. Yes, I yeah I saw that, and I mean okay maybe it's not Regardless, albino. Regardless, it's cool. Maybe it's, it's cool. not an albino, but it's very white, and you don't see that often. So I thought so I thought that was pretty cool, and Joe did as well. So if you haven't seen that, check that out. And I'm trying to think, is there any other stories that are worth talking? Um, oh. The story that Mackenzie did recently, uh, actually just just today about that Facebook group that's generating money. Um, oh, the tipping. Yeah, talk about that real quick before yeah, we wrap things um, up. Because I, I like that. I thought that was cool. Basically, it's um, some people that, you know, they want to look out for uh, waiters, service, people yep. in the service industry. And they've, uh, collect, they're collecting money, I believe, um, to give a, a substantial tip to a worthy um, waiter server in the area. Yep. Um, it's just a goodwill type thing. Yeah. It's, uh, nice gesture. And it's catching on. Yep. And uh, people are participating and uh, happy to help these. I mean, you know, you talk about frontline workers, uh, doctors, nurses, obviously EMTs. Um, you also have your grocery store workers and your restaurant workers. Yeah. Um, people got to eat. <laughs> uh, yes. And people got to serve you. Yeah. Um, so they're they're putting themselves out there too. So t- for this to happen and maybe give a couple fortunate waiters, waitresses, uh, server people some extra cash. Uh, hey, we can all use it in these rough times. Speaking of eating, I was off on Tuesday and I see the carnage in the garbage cans yes. here. You got Little Caesars pizza and I wasn't even here. Two, ten ten dollar Tuesday at li- at Little Caesars. It, it is really actually uh, they're pretty cheap. Uh, is it? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of large pie for five bucks. That's actually really impressive. Um, How was the za? How was the quality? Um, it's different. It's different. It's different okay, but, but it's 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 it, okay. It passes. It's serviceable. It passes. Okay, yep. so that's all that matters. So, yep. I I always say like at the end of the day, any pizza is pretty usually pretty good. So, and especially when when you're at work and you get some pizza. Just makes everything better. Absolutely. I think we've really reinforced that during the pandemic. You can't go wrong. But anyways, before uh, we wrap up, just want to remind everyone you can find us on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, FreshRepublican.com. Um, we put our st- put episodes on our Facebook, Twitter account. There is actually I, I don't I feel like we haven't plugged this enough, but we actually have a Twitter account just for the Press Pass podcast, and the handle is at Press Pass Pod. Um, and we put it on there as well as our Instagram story bio. 
And um, yeah, I think I listed off all the different platforms that we have it on. But anyways, I'm glad this was our first like just two paisans hanging out, doing their thing. But I think it worked out pretty well. And next week we'll probably talk about there's some football game going on. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know what we did last year, right? Yes. Prop bets. Yes. I, we're gonna oh, have, yeah. we're gonna have to do that again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a tra- it's we have to start a tradition. That's right. So stay tuned actually for next week because that might be a major theme of the podcast. Maybe what we will do on next week's episode is literally release uh, our we we will come up with the prop bets beforehand for the Super Bowl, and we will release what our picks are right on the podcast. Yeah, that would th- be interesting. I think that'll be perfect. Um, so. Before we actually wrap up then, Chiefs, Bucks, early thoughts. Um, I'm going to take the over. You're going to take the over. Okay, <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I, I have a hot take right off the bat. I think the Chiefs destroy the Bucks. You could be right. You could be right. Uh, it's, I don't – whatever. We'll, we'll continue on for a second. <laughs> um, the Bucks. I still don't know who they are. Right. They – Washington played them hard. If Jared Cook doesn't fumble a ball in the Saints game, the Saints might win. Then the Packers, let's be honest, didn't play their best game. No. And throughout the season, the Bucks had their struggles. It's the Super Bowl, and I don't know who the Bucks are. Yeah. You know, I, I know who the Chiefs are. Yeah. I know they have a pretty good offense. Mahomes leads the way. Tyreek Hill, when all else fails, the safety blanket or Travis Kelsey. You know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, but you could be right. Could we'll be right. we'll have more talk about that next week. But I, I I had to say that. But anyways, Joe, sign us off. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening. We always appreciate it, and we wish you all a little insight. Out.